Welcome to the King Truth Podcast, dedicated to everything in the black community. Here's your host, King Truth. another episode of King Truth Podcast. This is your host, King Truth. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk about the 10 most pressing issues facing 21st century African-Americans. Now, African-Americans still face a litany of problems in the 21st century. Despite gains since the end of World War II, especially the eradication of racial segregation known as Jim Crow, Serious economic, social, and political issues persist in the community. Brown versus Board of Education began the change in 1954. This Supreme Court ruling announced racial segregated schools unconstitutional. Now, unhappy with the uh, subsequent slow pace of change that was taking about in the country, African Americans took to the streets from the late 50s through the 60s, led by Martin Luther King Jr., Stokely Carmichael, Ella Baker, Fannie Lou Hamer, and others. Now, by the time Dr. King's assassination in 1968, the Black Power Movement had emerged, calling for immediate political, economic, political and economic equality. The government responded partly by creating affirmative actions plans to provide some in the race with a leg up in college admissions, employment, and other life situations. However, the nation turned away from these initiatives in what many refer today as a post-racial America, where race does not matter, supposedly. Yet, the election of Barack Obama and other symbols of colorblindness have not uh, solved these 10 problems that still plague the African-Americans in the 21st century. So the first issue is mass incarceration. The United States has the highest incarceration rate of the world. A a disproportionate amount are African-Americans who are so prevalent in the prison population that on any day, a male with no degree is more likely in jail than working. Now, many legal scholars refer to this high incarceration rate among African-Americans as a new form of Jim Crow segregation in which minorities head from high school to prison on a variable, on a vertible pipeline. Now, African-Americans constitute nearly 1 million of the 2.3 million persons incarcerated or incarcerated at nearly six times the rate of whites. One in three African-American men will experience prison. White men's risk is just 6%. Hispanic men are almost three times as likely to be in prison as non-Hispanic white men. The poor are also disproportionately represented behind bars. African-American men who are former inmates are irrevocably harmed by time they spent behind bars. Their There's been a 500% increase in the number of inmates over the last 40 years. Despite 
decreasing crime rates, the United States locks up more people than any other nation. Although home to only 5% of the world's population, the United States has 25% of the world's prison population. Now, the wives, girlfriends, and children of African-American men who go to jail or prison suffer collateral damage. Studies show that children of inmates do less well in school and exhibit behavioral problems. In addition, women partnered with inmates suffer from depression and economic hardships. One might assume that being released from jail or prison would represent an opportunity to make good on commitments to be a better person and return to normal life. If incarceration actually rehabilitated inmates, then that assumption would make sense. But alas, it does not. Despite what many people believe, evidence instead suggests that being locked away scars, stigmatizes, and damages inmates. A history of incarceration has been linked to the vulnerability to diseases, greater likelihood of cigarette smoking, and even premature death. Now, if this is allowed to continue unreformed, mass incarceration will shape our nation in ways that should repulse anyone who values the correlated concepts of freedom and redemption. Unless we consider mass incarceration a moral and policy failure, it will splinter already fragile families and communities that will ultimately hurt our entire nation. Number two is gang violence. In the wake of the Black Power movement uh, that arose during the, the late 60s and the 70s came the era of inner-city gangs. These violent gangs helped fill a leadership void among a disproposed people, and today criminal gangs have spread throughout the country and into the prisons. The Crips were not always the gangbangers they are known to be. The Crips were formed in 1969, and they Crip stood for Community Resources for Independent People. It was styled on the Black Panther Party, which was formed three years earlier by Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale, further down the West Coast in Oakland. Like so many of these organizations, their commitment was their their commitment to these basic values was not given the opportunity to run its course. Individuals marked out by police leaders were targeted and arrested on various bogus charges, then convicted on the flimsiest of evidence. Many, organiza many organizations were pitted against each other through the work of informants and undercover FBI agents who would provoke confrontations as well as provide information as to the whereabouts and movements of individuals. Others were just plain murdered by the police. The ferocity with which police departments went after the black community, particularly young black men, is shown by the fact that in 1972, uh, 1971, two million blacks were being arrested each year. The fear of the black community producing any more Huey P. Newtons or Malcolm X's of the development of a strong revolutionary movement were the main reasons behind such police actions and J. Edgar Hoover's COINTELPRO his counterintelligence program. Thus, any spirit of resistance was literally harassed, imprisoned, or murdered out of the community. Gangs, however, remain serving a different purpose. In reality, a culture of survival was now gripped, has now gripped a large section of black America. 
When people cannot eat or clothe their children, they will steal to survive. A person without a job who has been influenced by the rampant materialism of the dominant culture can be recruited into criminal activity. The illegal economies of crime and crack have become the main means of survival for many people. In amongst such conditions, children are most vulnerable. Society's alienation of these youths mean that the only place they can find respect, kinship, and power is within a gang. The bond between gang members is so strong that many will kill or die for each other, no question. A gang has been described as being your religion, your family, your college, your everything. A child that has been beaten frequently and unjustly will learn to resort to violence against others. Similarly, a community that has constantly visited the unjust killings and beatings at the hands of an oppressive police force can learn to settle conflicts through violent means. The internalization of problems called by external factors by then has taken place. Number three is poverty. One central goal of the civil rights movement was black economic empowerment. Nevertheless, millions of black Americans still live mired in poverty, susceptible to poor living conditions in underserved inner cities. The higher rates of poverty and hunger among African Americans are direct results of systemic inequality through racial and gender discrimination. While the United States has an overall poverty rate of 12.3%, according to the U.S. Census, within the African American community, the poverty rate is 21.2%. This rate is even higher in African-American female-headed households, which is at 30.3%. The poverty that poor African-Americans experience is often different from the poverty of poor whites. It's more isolating and concentrated. It extends out the door of a family's home and occupies the entire neighborhood around it, touching the streets, the schools, the grocery stores. In St. Louis, 29.5% of poor African Americans live in concentrated poverty. Among poor whites, just 1.6% do. Poor whites in most major metropolitan areas are spread out. Poor African Americans are not. Concentrated poverty is getting worse because poor people, especially poor African Americans, are increasingly left behind. And a number of forces drive this pattern, including systematic discrimination, polices that have historically concentrated public housing, and modern zoning laws to keep the poor out of wealthy, wealthier communities. The fourth issue is drugs. The war on drugs, which began in the 1980s, is a leading cause of the high rate of incarceration among African Americans, especially males. The drug war was produced profoundly unequal, the drug war has produced profoundly unequal outcomes across racial groups, manifested through racial discrimination by law enforcement and disproportionate drug war, drug war misery suffered by the communities of color. The mass incarceration of people of color, particularly young African Americans, is, a prof is as profound a system of racial control as the Jim Crow laws were in this country until the mid-1960s. Misguided drug laws and draconian sentencing have produced profoundly unequal outcomes for communities of people of color. People of color experience discrimination at every stage of the criminal justice system and are more likely to be stopped, searched, arrested, convicted, 
harshly sentenced and saddled with a lifelong criminal record, and this is particularly the case for drug law uh, violations. Nearly 80% in the federal prison and almost 60% of the people in state prison for drug uses or drug offenses are black or Latino. Research shows that prosecutors are twice as likely to pursue a mandatory minimum sentence for black people as for white people charged with the same offense. Among people who received a mandatory minimum sentence in 2011, 38% were Latino, 31% were black. Black people and Native Americans are more likely to be killed by law enforcement than other racial and ethnic groups. They are often stereotyped as being violent or addicted to alcohol and other drugs. Experts believe that stigma and racism may play a major role in police community interactions. Punishment for a drug law violation is not only meted out by the criminal justice system, but is also perpetuated by policies denying child custody, voting rights, employment, business loans, licensing, student loan, uh, student aid, public housing, and other public assistances to people with criminal convictions. These exclusions create a permanent second-class status for millions of Americans. Like drug war enforcement itself, they fall disproportionately on people of color. One in 13 black people of voting age are denied the right to vote because of laws that disenfranchise people with felony convictions. One in nine black children has an incarcerated parent compared to one in 28 Latino children and one in 57 white children. Number five is voting rights. The 2000 election in Florida highlighted the belief that African-Americans still face problems voting despite the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Numerous claims of being asked for identification confused with convicted felons and other discrepancies led to calls for reform. Kemp, who ran against Stacey Abrams for governor in Georgia, was Georgia's Secretary of State, where one of his responsibilities is to oversee state elections while also running for office. In that capacity, he, he had been engaged in a systematic campaign to restrict the number of Georgians allowed to cast ballots. In July 2017, Kemp's office purged nearly 600,000 people, or 8% of the state's registered voters, from the rolls, and estimated 107,000 of them were cut simply because they hadn't voted in recent elections. During the 2018 governor's race in Georgia, Kemp had blocked the registration of 53,000 state residents. 70% of whom were African-American and therefore swung the election in his favor. Both moves were entirely legal. Georgia, plus at least eight other states, has a use-it-or-lose-it law that allows it to cancel voter registration if the person hasn't voted in recent elections. The state also has an exact match law enacted last year whereby a voter registration application must be identical to the information on file with Georgia's Department of Driver Services or the Social Security Administration. If they do not match or no such information is on file, then the registration is put on hold until the applicant can provide additional documents to prove their identity. That's why more than 50,000 applicants were on hold. They can still vote with a photo ID, 
but no doubt their pending status will discourage many. Georgia is only one of a number of states attempting to artificially suppress the Democratic vote, making voting rights a key issue in this election, not to mention 2020, when Donald Trump seeks a second term. Back in 2013, the Supreme Court struck down the heart of the 1965 Voting Rights Act, ruling in Shelby County v. Holder that it was unconstitutional to require nine mostly southern states to seek federal approval before changing their election laws. Our country has changed. Chief Justice John G. Roberts Jr. wrote for the 5-4 majority, which included swing justice Anthony Kennedy. While any racial discrimination in voting is too much, Congress must ensure that the legislation it passes remedy the problem, remedy that problem speaks to current conditions. Six years later, the, the disastrous effect of that ruling have become apparent. Nearly a thousand polling places across the country have been eliminated since Shelby. In 2018 alone, 10 counties with large black populations in Georgia closed polling spots after a white elections consultant recommended they do so to save money. With Kennedy's seat, taken over by Brett Kavanaugh, it's fair to doubt that this court will find such trends any more troublesome than those that ruled during one of the darkest periods in American history. Number six is education. So in the 1980s, affirmative action had largely equalized college attendance among African Americans and others. Since then, attacks on this policy, which provided some minorities with preference in admissions has eviscerated these gains in certain states. So where are the race-related struggles experienced by African-American students throughout our schooling? Black boys are almost three times as likely to be suspended than white boys, and black girls are four times as likely to be suspended than white girls. Black students' misbehavior is more often criminalized in school compared to other students. While black kids make up 18% of preschool enrollment, they represent 48% of students receiving one or more suspensions. Getting suspended matters because it is correlated with being referred to law enforcement and arrested. Black students account for 27% of students who are referred to law enforcement and 31% of students who are arrested. While they only make up 18% of enrolled students. As a general rule, black students do not often receive the benefit of the doubt when they engage in bad and questionable behavior. Now, number seven is the single-parent household. Today, with African-American males disproportionately incarcerated, many single women face the burden of raising children alone. For black children, the presence of fathers will not alter racist drug laws, uh, prosecutorial uh, protection of police officers who kill, mass school closures, or the poisoning of their water. By focusing on supposed absence of black fathers, we allow ourselves to pretend this oppression is not real, while also further scapegoating black men for America's social uh, societal ills. In 1965, 
then New York Senator Patrick Manet, I'm going to mess this guy's last name up, Moynihan's published The Negro Family, The Case for National Action. It argued that the number of women-led households in black communities were the largest obstacle for black people achieving economic and political equality. Since then, the issue of missing black fathers has been a top priority for black intellectuals, activists, and community leaders, as well as a favored retort from people seeking to deflect from conversations about structural racism. Number eight is unemployment. The African-American unemployment rate generally doubles that of the population as a whole, demonstrating pronounced difficulties providing for families and accumulating wealth. The April jobs report was, for the most part, pretty good news. The overall unemployment rate fell to 3.6%, a level not seen in almost 50 years. The survey of businesses showed that the economy generated more than 260,000 new jobs in the month, a very strong pace of job growth. But the situation for black Americans, and especially black men, is disturbing. While the data are erratic, we now have enough of it to indicate that the employment prospects of black men may actually be deteriorating over, uh, even as the overall labor market continues to improve. Number nine is police brutality. A slew of high-profile questionable deaths involving police have led to a Black Lives Matter movement, the criminal indictment of some of these officers, and urban riots. Police killings are cutting short the lives of many people of color, researchers have, researchers have reported. While just over half of the people killed by police are white, Hispanics and African Americans are on average younger, and people of black, Hispanic, and Native American background are disproportionately killed by police, and this comes from the researchers. Police violence disproportionately impacts young people, and the young people affected are disproportionately people of color. African Americans died at the hands of police at a rate of 7.2 per million, while whites were killed at a rate of 2.9 per million. And the last uh, issue facing the 21st century African American is systemic racism. Looming, over, looming large over all problems in the African-American community is systemic racism. First enunciated in detail by political scientist Charles Hamilton and activist Stokely Carmichael, this term refers to the whole indifference of institutions, public and private, that make life in the country harsh for many minorities. Systemic racism differs from personal prejudice in that it remains imperceptible to many. Racist attitudes of whites towards blacks have long become socially unacceptable in America, although the reverse, racism of a minority directed at the white majority is still tolerated and even encouraged. However, statistical racial disparities persist. African Americans as a population continue to suffer income, crime and incarceration rate, health, housing, and family structure uh, deficits by comparison with the white population. 
Now, millennials face a host of problems, chiefly among them, the 10 listed here. Nevertheless, all is not lost. African-Americans have overcome slavery and legalized racism to being able to help elect one from the group as commander in chief of the most powerful nation in the world and its history. When viewed in this context, the future will probably be one of continued progress by people who have proven their resilience and strength beyond any doubt. Well, that's all I got. There ain't no more. My time is tight and that's the end of my show. So grab your hand and make a fist. Listen to me and remember this. I'll tell it to the hot. I'll tell it to the cold. I'll tell it to the young. I'll tell it to the old. I don't want no laughing. I don't want no crying. But most of all, no signifying. Tune in next time. This is King Tree Podcast.